Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by our friends at Molka Sports. Another great guest lined up for you today, someone I've wanted to have on the show for a long time, Arthur Blank, the owner of the NFL's Atlanta Falcons. He also owns Major League Soccer's Atlanta United, a Major League Soccer team who averages 70,000 fans a game in Atlanta. A lot of people said soccer wouldn't work in Atlanta. It's worked brilliantly there. Um, He's also the co-founder of Home Depot and the author of the new book, Good Company. We'll discuss that book. I just love Arthur because he's a great philanthropist. Uh, All of his companies he runs with a value-based system. Everyone who works for him really likes him, and he makes the world a better place. So uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation with Arthur Blank on our show today. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good, and I really impre- I was impressed with Arthur too. He's just uh, you'll you'll learn a lot from this interview, and he's just such a soft-spoken but so brilliant guy. You just learn a lot. Every single answer he gave you was just full of great little tidbits. And man, he's a, he's a busy guy, but you wouldn't know it. Like he's just calm and cool and collected, and uh, just a solid guy. If you want to listen to the interview, you can do so on our podcast channels, but it's also up on our YouTube channel. We did this via Zoom, so if you want to watch the interview. Go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the link to our YouTube channel, and you can find the interview there as well. Griggs, uh, happy Thanksgiving week to you. I'm thankful for you and for our friends at Malka Sports. I'm thankful for our listeners. You know, I think we should always be thankful, but this year has really kind of stopped us in our tracks. And, you know, we all say we're so busy and we're flying from one place to another and we've got meetings. And, and this year we've been largely stuck at home and, and the world has slowed down. And I think hopefully it's made us all more thankful for what's uh, really important. No, I totally agree. I was thinking about that as we were planning our Thanksgiving where it's literally just going to be my wife, me and, and my son. And, you know, I'm thankful for that because, hey, we're healthy. We're together. We're happy. And that's important. So, uh, yeah, it's a good good year for putting stuff in perspective for sure. And a different Thanksgiving for most of us. But still, you know, we're alive. We're ticking. And uh, we still have sports, too, which is fun. Yeah, I'm thankful for my daughter, for my family, for my friends. Again, the listeners uh, for this show. 
I mean, gosh, Griggs, uh, next year, 2021, we're going into year 17 of Sports Business Radio. When we started this, I'm not sure I saw 17 years on the horizon. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty crazy. And like we said, we've been podcasting when podcasting wasn't cool. You know, we're there. We're the OGs. We are the OG. No one even knew what podcasting was back in, in <laughs> 2007. Uh, a quick plug for our sponsors, Black Friday's coming up. And look, businesses need support more than ever. It's been a down year for most businesses. Mizzen in Maine is the official dress shirt and you know apparel company of Sports Business Radio. And then CBDMD, uh, they are the official CBD company of Sports Business Radio. Both great products. If you go to mizzenandmaine.com or cbdmd.com on Black Friday, make sure that you use the promo code SBR, like Sports Business Radio, SBR, and uh, you'll save and support them at the same time and some great products. I agree. Those are two great companies. We've loved having them on. And uh, yeah, I mean, Mizzen and Maine, great clothes. We both love wearing their stuff. And then CBDMD helps us sleep and many other things. So yeah, great companies support uh, good businesses doing good work and uh, help uh, SBR out too at the same time. All right. Before we get to the interview with Arthur Blank, what are the go-to food items at the Griggs household for Thanksgiving? Well, normally uh, we have two Thanksgivings with uh, Trisha, my wife's family, and then my family, but we're doing just our own this year. Normally it's the green bean casserole with the fried onions on top, but we're not doing that. We're not doing that this year because we're doing it kind of simple. So this year it's going to be, my wife makes this killer homemade stuffing with the gravy on it is awesome. Wow. Stuffing's a big one for me. So uh, that's a good one. Yeah. How about you? Uh, So my daughter is vegetarian. So we will be having uh, mac and cheese, stuffing, Brussels sprouts, potatoes and gravy. Uh, We've got pumpkin pie. So we've got a lot of non-meat, non-turkey items. She likes the sides. So, uh, And she may even make some matzo ball soup, which Mm. she's a big fan of, and so am I. And she's gotten rather good at making matzo ball soup. She learned how to make that from my mom, her grandma. So... Uh, it is, uh, something that we look forward to. So yeah, it's, it's going to be us and, you know, we're going to be at home and, and probably binging some, uh, TV shows and movies and things like that. So, uh, it'll be different this year, but, uh, you know, still we'll FaceTime with family and friends. And, uh, I hope, you know, people are safe during this Thanksgiving holiday and that they have someone to spend it with. And, you know, if not just, you know, dial up someone on FaceTime or, uh, you know, watch a movie, enjoy the day and, and just relax. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, that's the cool thing about technology with FaceTiming and all that. You still can kind of connect with people when you're not going to be there. And uh, that's that's pretty cool. And you and I were texting yesterday about how we're missing our New York trip. So I know you and me are going to be watching like Elf because it's in New York and probably Home Alone, too. <laughs> yeah, this will be the first time in years that we haven't been in New York for the Sports Business Radio Roadshow uh, in December. So we're both missing the ice skating at Central Park, the frozen hot chocolates, the tree at Rockefeller Center, and just the overall vibe of Christmas in New York. But again, this is a different year, so we will uh, get through it. Coming up next, Arthur Blank. You know, we talk all the time about this podcast being a master class. We bring some amazing people on. This is a master class. And if you read the book Good Company, which came out about a month ago, it's a master class in how to do business the right way. Uh, Arthur Blank, you'll learn a lot from this interview. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. CBDMD is the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio, and I couldn't be happier. 
Their products have made a huge difference in the quality of my life, my daughter's life, even our dog's life. I was having a difficult time sleeping, and CBDMD, CBDPM drops and capsules have allowed me to sleep better than I have in years. CBD Freeze has been amazing for my daughter and I after we work out. Even our dog loves CBDMD's soft chews. They've got a great array of products. And one of the things I like the most about CBDMD's products, they're all THC-free. That was very important to me. CBDMD is also the first American CBD company to be publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Check them out under the ticker symbol YCBD. Athletes such as two-time Masters champion golfer Bubba Watson, former NFL wide receiver turned broadcaster Nate Burleson, and UFC athletes Daniel Cormier and Chael Sonnen use CBDMD's high-quality products. Change your quality of life just like I did. These are anxious times for a lot of us, and CBDMD's products have helped me sleep better and just live a, a higher quality of life. Visit CBDMD.com and enter the promo code SBR to save 25% off at checkout. That's CBDMD.com, promo code SBR. My guest is Arthur Blank. He is the owner of the NFL's Atlanta Falcons, Major League Soccer's Atlanta United, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. He's the co-founder of Home Depot and the author of the new book, Good Company, which is available at bookstores everywhere and on Amazon.com. Arthur, I've got to tell you, thanks for joining us. Uh, this book that you've written, Good Company, and Shoe Dog from Phil Knight are now my two favorite business books. I love the stories that you tell in the book. What made you want to write a book? Well, I, you know, I, it's really, uh, that's a really good question, Brian. I think that, um, you know, my experience at, at the Home Depot for 23 years um, was pretty clear that myself and my partner, Bernie Marcus, we, we, we built a company. Um, yes, big stores, low prices, great services, great service levels, products, et cetera, et cetera. But most important thing that we knew that we had uh, that was unique, that we carried out to a quarter of a million associates before I left the company, uh, was this culture. Um, and so the culture was based basically on six six core values and all have to do with human relationship, putting people first and listen and respond and include everybody and innovate on a continuous basis, lead by example and giving back to others. So um, what was most interesting is that after I left and here I bought the Atlanta Falcons and you know later opened the franchise for Atlanta United, we bought our guest ranches in Montana, Mountain Sky and, and West Creek. And, uh, and we operate the PGA Tour Superstores, which is the largest golf retailer in America today. So all of these same core values, regardless of the industry, regardless of the uh, geography or the topography, um, they all worked 100% in uh, connecting um, good, you know, good economics, good profitability, because I do believe in capitalism. On the other hand, they connected equally with doing the right things for the right reasons uh, and living with the consequences of those things and giving back to the community, being connected to our associates. And most importantly, or as importantly, being connected to the people we're serving, our guests, our fans, or our customers. So, you know, these core values have nothing to do with uh, how much money you're making uh, or, you know, certain things you'd measure, et cetera. But basically suggesting that, you know, good behavior drives good results and good behavior drives an awareness of um, a purpose that goes beyond just, uh, just, just making a bottom line, if you will. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, you talk in the beginning of the book about your parents and your family. Yes. Are they the ones who helped instill these values in you? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I think so in, in large part. My, I lost my father was when I was only 14 years old. He was, uh, he was 44. So I think, although I didn't realize it at the time and probably didn't realize it really for many years, but I think somewhere in me that instilled a, uh, a wiring uh, that said, you know, have a sense of urgency about, you know, life, have a sense of urgency about making choices, have a sense of urgency about making a difference uh, because there's no assurance you're going to be here forever. Uh, I didn't think that, but I think that inside of me spiritually, that was a component of my, of my makeup from that point forward. I think probably even more of it was my mother who was always, we came from a very middle-class background. We lived in, you know, in a, in a one bedroom apartment. Uh, when I bought my first home, I was 31 years old and I paid $31,000 for the house, for the entire house. That wasn't like a down payment. That was the entire wow. house. I remember telling my wife at the time, listen, I'll keep current on the payments, but we'll never be able to pay this mortgage off. So it shows you how times have changed. But the point is that uh, my mother was always a person of principle, always a person who got involved in community, always involved in any issues, uh, whether it be like we're trying to do now, get people to go out and vote or, you know, to make sure that you know, there was equality and, 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 and equity and diversity and inclusion and everything we were connected to. So we didn't have a lot of money then, but my mother had a lot of, of, um, of thoughts and commitments to those kinds of values. So I think the coupling my mom and dad definitely made a big difference. And then over the years, obviously, it's gotten fine-tuned. Whether it's lowering prices at Mercedes-Benz Stadium for food and drink or keeping prices at cost at Home Depot after a hurricane, there are a lot of people who would say, hey, I'm going for the money here. Yeah. You haven't done that. It sounds easy to do, right? Have values and, and run your business, yeah. but not as many people do it. How have you done it? Well, I, I think it's because I think that from a fundamental standpoint, we understood that, you know, these values um, would, would drive us to making the right decisions for the people that we're serving. Uh, as I said earlier, guests, fans, customers, depending on the, on the business. But if you go back, for instance, to the days of HD, when uh, when he had the hurricane go through South Florida, <clears throat> all of our competitors had raised their prices already. All of them had, and we were protecting close to 3,600 miles of of, um, of of shoreline at that point, down through Florida, over through the coast area, et cetera. And um, and we, uh, you know, our our attitude was that you know our customers had got us to this point in terms of success, uh, and. Uh, we got to find ways to say thank you to them, ways to show appreciation to them. And so why at the most desperate times in their lives, in many cases, both physically and emotionally, losing homes, losing businesses, uh, people getting ill, people being hospitalized, et cetera, would we want to raise prices? So what we did was just, you know, we didn't, we didn't promote it. We didn't make a big deal about it. We just we said, look, we're here for you. Even though many of our stores were closed, we operated because they got hit by the hurricane. Our HD associates, they opened up temporary stores on the outside, and the parking lots, et cetera, and they never closed. And they kept selling product at the same prices that we always sold it at. And, um, and you know, and, and they did whatever, whatever they could do to take care of those customers that helped us build our business. And it was interesting. 
about two weeks after all of that happened, it was a front page story in the Wall Street Journal that we didn't know was even coming. Hmm. But the writer had found out, like you're suggesting now, Brian, the writer had found out about the story and said, you know, this is front page story above the crease. We want to tell in the Wall Street Journal. And and uh, for us, it was just keeping true to our values of appreciating these customers that got us to where we were. Uh, the other thing which we did at the same time was that, you know, we made sure that we doubled down, tripled down with all of our suppliers and made sure that they uh, changed their distribution during that month period of time. So they forced product into these areas to our stores to make sure not only the prices were kept low, but the products were still available. Uh, and on the food and beverage, uh, it was a similar kind of thinking, Brian. I mean, it just... Uh, uh, when we uh, when we built the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you know, one of the opportunities we had, which we didn't have in the Georgia Dome, <clears throat> was to uh, control the the food and beverage in terms of the sourcing, in terms of the quality, the quantity, the pricing. So at one of our meetings, I said, you know, we got to find a way to say thank you to our fans who are coming in here and paying us a lot of money, PSLs and season ticket prices, et cetera, et cetera. And I said. Second to winning all the time, uh, you know they want to they want to have a great food and beverage experience. So you know I'm I'm willing to take a chance, take a bet uh, that if we lower the prices, uh, that they'll respond by buying more, by actually not planning their meals around going to the event or the stadium, and not feeling that they're captive in the building. So when our associates asked me, some of them asked me, well, what does lowering mean? I said, how about in half? So I had people look at me, there was stone silence, like I lost my mind. <laughs> so I said, well, that's exactly the reaction that I hope that our fans uh, would have, is that they, would, they wouldn't believe it. And when we announced it, actually, the media, they were the ones who first didn't believe it. They said, oh, that's, well, that's incredible. Thank you for doing it for the first three games. I said, no, we're going to do it for the whole year. They said, oh, well, you know, you, you maybe the first year, but you're not doing it the second year. I said, we're going to do it forever. Uh, and they said, well, I'm sure you won't do it for the special events national championships, Super Bowls, college bowls, you know, concerts, et cetera. I said, no, regardless of the event, including the Super Bowl, these prices will be maintained at this level. And they've been. And so today we're ranked number one in the NFL and in Major League Soccer for food and beverage. We're also ranked number one in terms of security and ranked number one in terms of uh, the welcome home atmosphere that we create within the stadium. So you know, we can't always control, you know, whether we're going to win or lose a game or a match, depending on the sport or whatever. Um, but we can control the environment that we are asking our fans and our guests to show up in and how they're treated when they're there. And we do control that. Arthur, you have managed a number of people throughout your career, whether they're high profile or lower profile. And one of the chapters of your book that really struck me was chapter two, where you shared the story of how you were informed by the board that you were being ousted from the company that you co-founded. And I immediately, my mind went to this October when you had to make a change with your football operations with head coach Dan Quinn and GM Thomas Dimitrov. And I thought to myself, I wonder how the experience with the board at Home Depot helped you when you have to inform people, you know what, 
we're going to make a change. But that's not an easy thing for people. It's being done a lot this year. How, how would you recommend that gets done? What's the best way to do that? I, I would say, number one, my experience at HD um, really ended up being kind of a political situation. There was a couple of board members uh, who felt very strongly about one candidate that was available when Jack Welch uh, had decided to retire and he had picked uh, one of his three senior people to run GE at that time, um, and a really good guy who's now retired. Um, but the guy he didn't pick was Bob Nardelli. One of the guys he didn't pick was Bob Nardelli. And so uh, this individual was on the board of GE and felt that if we didn't get Nardelli right now, we, uh, you know, we would lose him and it'd be like the diamond that we would have lost. Um, so I was, I was actually chairing the committee that was seeking out a new CEO. Um, that, that committee pretty much was run over by, you know, by uh, this individual and the rest of the board followed him. Uh, so it really had not as much to do with me. It had to do with getting this guy in place. Five years later, they fired him. Um, and the next two CEOs are people from within the organization, Frank Blake, Craig Muneer, and now Ted Decker, the latter two I hired actually. Um, but anyway, getting off of that experience, which was which was really pretty negative for me in my life, I would say when you're letting you know somebody go, and I had dinner last night with Coach Quinn as an example. I mean, I you know I love Dan. I mean, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Um, a really fine football coach and a, just an outstanding human being. He was with us for six years. Thomas Dimitrov was with us for twelve years. Thomas was, this was the year that we drafted Matt Ryan in 2008. So, at, but at some point, you know, I've always um, said this publicly as well as privately is that, you know, I mean, I know I own technically the Atlanta Falcons, you know, financially, legally and all that stuff. However, I view myself as a steward for the fans. And I think when you uh, are tone deaf to the fans uh, is when you, as an owner or in any position of management, you really get in trouble. When you tone deaf to the people that you're serving, in this case, the fans that are supporting, supporting the Atlanta Falcon franchise. And we had gone since the Super Bowl in 2016. Um, in the last two and a half years, we, our winning percentage was 45%. And that was not what, what I had signed up for. Is not really what Dan had signed up for. and is not what Thomas had committed to as well. So when I had to make the change, it was very painful, very difficult. Uh, but I knew that I was doing it for the right reasons. And the people that were supporting the franchise who were giving us not only their money, but their time, their energy, their passion, et cetera, along with it. I mean, they needed to know that, you know, that I had a responsibility too. It wasn't to draw plays. It wasn't to, you know, to, to pick out players and things of that nature. But it meant that when that kind of change was necessary to happen, that I would have the uh, the courage to act in their behalf and do the right thing. And so I felt that was my job. And uh, I've had lunch with Thomas a couple hours, last night with Dan a couple hours. I mean, we're close friends. I, you know, I love him personally. Uh, we agreed to maintain that relationship, which we will maintain. Uh, and at some point, you know, I said to Dan last night, you know, you had six years here. It was not a failure. Yes, it ended up shorter than you and I both would have liked. But, you know, we went to the Super Bowl. We were in the playoff three times. Uh, the year after the Super Bowl, we had a very competitive year. And most people felt after the way we lost the Super Bowl that we would be really off base that following year. We weren't. We played competitively. 
But for the last two and a half years, that has not been the case. So I felt it was the right thing to represent our franchise and represent our fans. So it's painful. When it becomes really easy to do, you need to do something else for a living. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMain.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMain.com, code SBR. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. In Chapter 4 of your book, Good Company, you tell the story about right after you bought the Falcons, you were on the team plane, and you went yeah. back to the back of the plane, and, and you started talking with the players. And you said mm-hmm. that was better than any board meeting because you were hearing from the players directly. How yeah. often do you talk to your players now? And there's so much going on in this world, Arthur, from COVID to Black Lives Matter to player safety. How often are you listening to your players and what are they telling you these days? Well, I think, on, Brian, on, on the issues you just, have, you just mentioned, I, I try to talk to our players as much as makes sense um, and talk to them directly because I'm not talking really to them about, you know, why are we losing or why are we winning or are you happy with the way you're playing? Or you don't like this coach or this coach. I, mean, I, don't, I don't cross that line. I don't get close to that line. But when it comes to the issues that you just described, I, I do tap into the wisdom of the players. And the players, you know, they, um, they still remember where they came from. They go back to those communities. Often their parents, their grandparents, their siblings are living in those communities that still struggle with equality and diversity and, 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 uh, and inclusion in a broad sense. Um, they struggle with the issue of, you know, uh, law enforcement accountability. Uh, so they, they, you know, they're much aware of these things and, and, uh, and they want to see, they want to see movement. They want to see progress is the term that we use now that I use now is moving from protest to progress. And I think the NFL and the players are doing that. Um, it's not, you know, it's not where it needs to be, but with progress being made and that progress should be recognized and should be celebrated at the same time, the reality of where the country is today and how much more work there is to be done needs to be recognized, too. And we need to give the players an opportunity to express themselves because that's that's important to hear from them. And that's our responsibility to work alongside them to uh, to make progress in these areas. And uh, we do that in a variety of ways. And I would say most clubs in the NFL do it. Um, and I would definitely say the commissioner does it. The league does it as well. Uh, so I, I think, um, and the players appreciate that. You know, I've always said that if I ever had to treat players uh, or any of our associates as quote commodities, um, you know, I, I would I would not own a team. I always want to know them. I want to know their kids. I want to know their aspirations post football. I know what they are during football, but post football, if I can help them with their philanthropy, 
help them uh, figure out what they want to do for the rest of their lives when they finish playing. Those are things that I care about. And those are things when the players understand that and feel that, you know, they understand they have a deeper commitment to the organization, the franchise because of that, because they, they all, they all want to be considered as, you know, as human beings first and players, they understand their job. They, got, they get paid a lot of money to do it. They understand that, but they also want to be, uh, thought of as, you know, I, I have aspirations for myself, for my family, for society, uh, for the betterment of the world. I mean, I have a purpose, too, that goes beyond just playing football. And so the more we pay attention to those things, I think the deeper the bond becomes between us and our players. What a great example you're setting for them, Arthur. Uh, your family foundation is doing amazing things. And you know, if I'm someone who works for you or plays for you, I see what you're doing out there to make the world a, a better place. And it's very inspiring. And, and, you know, I followed you for a long time, but your book brings out some of the specific mm-hmm. things that you've done over the course of your life. But what a legacy you're leaving. Well, thank you, Brian. You're kind. The other thing which we do in our philanthropy area, we have associate giving funds in each of our businesses. Um, so, and that'll total this probably coming year, close to 14, $15 million. So those are funds that are, uh, they're not run by our officers in any one of our businesses, but each of the businesses, uh, have, have an associate led groups that determine a component of our total philanthropy for a year. So, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll find things, whether it be in soccer or in football or in, you know, whatever it may be out, out in Montana and our ranches. They find local things that they know are important to the people that are living in those communities, and they'll make those decisions. They'll make the evaluations. They make the site visits. Uh, they'll make they'll make the grants. They're all within certain guidelines that we overall give them to make sure they don't go off the track someplace, and they don't. Uh, and then we go back and look at you know how how well are those grants performing? So they feel not only are they proud of what the foundation's doing, but they're particularly proud of what they're personally involved in and personally doing. And that's all run by hourly associates. We don't let any of our officer group, they're not engaged in that activity. There are other ways that they're engaged. It's wonderful. Um, I want to ask you about being on the NFL's Workplace Diversity Committee. You've been on that committee since 2002. A lot of progress, as you've said, but still work to be done, as I've seen you say in other interviews. What's the work that still needs to be done? Well, you know, Brian, I think I would say this is probably, I would start by saying probably the most important thing is that the intention, the real intention, in my opinion, of uh, the NFL and, and its owners, I would say, and is, is to absolutely have um, a diverse, uh, diverse leadership group in our clubs that represent, you know, uh, a much closer demographic to what our players are. Basically, 70% of our Players are, are uh, people of color, men of color, um, and we don't have close to that in a variety of positions. In some areas we do, but in most areas we don't. So you have to, one, acknowledge that truth, and that's where it starts from. And then you have to acknowledge the fact that is that acceptable? The answer is it's not acceptable to anybody personally or as an organization or as a league. So we have to do a better job at developing a deeper pipeline of candidates so that we're ready to make choices on coaches and general managers and team presidents or officers and marketing folks, merchandise, whoever it may be, is that we're looking at a real diverse set of candidates. Because you can look at a set of diverse candidates and 
you know, the only ones that are really qualified look like either you or I, Brian, and that's not acceptable. So you have to have a diverse slate that represents, you know, competitive candidates, you know, really competitive candidates that are black and brown and white and, you know, and Asian or whatever the case may be. Um, and I think the league is working very, very hard to doing that. And it's building rules in place to encourage teams to do that. So for instance, this year, uh, one of the rules that was adopted, if I was, if I was, uh, let's assume for a second, Brian, that you happen to be uh, a person of color. So if you were working for us in a, as a, an assistant general manager position or somewhere in personnel and you got taken away and promoted as a general manager, we would get a pick. We would get an additional compensatory pick, draft pick, for having trained you, supported you, and brought you to that level where, but you, you know, and then you would go on to wherever you would go to whatever club it may be and go on in there from your career. So I think the NFL is doing a number of things. Um, and requirements of interviews and things of that nature and sp spreading it. Initially, it was just head coaches and general managers. Now it's basically all frontline associates, all uh, front office associates. It includes coordinators. It includes position coaches. There's a lot of changes relative to when you can interview these people that were much stricter in the past based on where they were seating in the playoff runs and Super Bowl. And you'd have to wait till the very end to be able to interview somebody. And I remember we interviewed Dan Quinn and we interviewed him once. I never could talk to Dan again for, it was like five weeks, I think, you know, mm -hmm. and during that period of time, you know, we had interviewed a bunch of other candidates and it got a little scary because I, you know, I couldn't talk to the guy. I loved him. I really wanted to hire him, but I couldn't because he's still coaching for Seattle at that time. And um, so it was, you know, it was, you know, so those rules have changed to encourage that. And I think uh, the other thing, which I do think the league is doing now, is, um, you know, we have scorecards and, sc and scorekeeping on almost e everything else. So I think that the league is definitely keeping uh, a, a, a factual awareness of what, of, of what the body counts are, and, and, uh, and they should. And uh, so I think there's a sense of we all know it's the right thing to do. We have the mechanisms in place now, develop the pipelines deeper and stronger, Make sure we have a diverse set of candidates for any job that we're looking at that are real candidates, not make-believe candidates, and then uh, and then make your selection from there. I think that'll change the numbers in the future. Just a few minutes left before I let you go. Uh, I want to talk about your Major League Soccer club, the Atlanta United. So many people thought, wow, Major League Soccer in Atlanta? I don't know if that's going to work. And not only has it worked, you've been one of the leaders in the league drawing over 70,000 fans routinely. Uh, you won the MLS Cup in 2018. It's mm -hmm. been a huge hit there in Atlanta, Arthur. Yeah, it has been. And I think that, you know, I had the advantage of moving here in 1978 and opened up our first Home Depot stores in 79. So I was here for, you know, almost 40, 42 years at that, at that time, or 40 years at that time. And, um, and so I had a lot of confidence in Atlanta. I remember when I moved here, the greater Atlanta area, the SMSA was probably a little less than a million people. And now it's close to 7 million. So, and I felt there was no natural barriers to keep Atlanta from growing. So it continued to grow. I also had seen a tremendous growth in terms of diversity. Atlanta's got a very large Hispanic population and growing. Uh, and so, and I knew that my son had played soccer, um, club soccer, and um, my my ex-wife, two of our children, that played club soccer, and I was close to all of them. I still am. 
Um, and, um, and so I'd seen them play club soccer and seen the turnout and the quality of the soccer being played in Atlanta. So, I mean, I, I had um, good reason to feel like this would be a success in this city. And then we hired a great guy, Darren Eels, who's our president CEO. He uh, um, is from England, had played overseas, uh, played in the United States, still holds the scoring records uh, at Brown University and, and other schools he played at. Um, and he had this global view of soccer. We hired him early, two and a half years early before the first match was started. So he had plenty of time to study the Atlanta market, understand club soccer here, understand how MLS was functioning at that time, where were the opportunities, how the salary cap system worked, et cetera. And, um, and he found a great coach and brought in a great group of players along with a technical director who had been uh, one of the top defenders in the history of the United States, Carlos Bacanegra, who was captain of the U.S. national team on two occasions that competed in the World Cup. So we went to the very top, and then we, you know, we, we spent time at a lot of pubs all around Atlanta, you know, recruiting soccer fans, which is where they, where they were. And, um, and again, we gave them the experience they wanted. We, they, we never made them felt, feel like they were playing soccer in a football stadium. We uh, didn't show the, the lines for the NFL games were gone. All the, all the sight lines, the, the cl- seats would pull back. Uh, their visibility, everything felt like it was a soccer-designed stadium. In fact, two years ago in Spain, uh, we were awarded as the best soccer complex in the world at that time. So, you know, it was being thoughtful and and, and understanding the market and then uh, not doing anything to put any limits on it, allow it to go to its very top, and it has, obviously, beautifully. Didn't have a good year this last year, but, you know, we'll uh, we'll work on that and certainly turn around for this coming year. Last question for you. As the person who co-founded Home Depot, I've always wanted to ask you this. I go to Home Depot and I just wander around because there's so many incredible items in the store. Thank you. What's your go-to item at Home Depot? Like, is there something that you've got at your house that you're just like, I have used this more than anything else? What I I used to use more than anything is um, I, I, in college, one of the ways I paid for uh, help pay for my college expenses was my ha- my had my own business doing doing landscaping, so e- everything on the outside I love doing. You know all the cutting and the trimming and the cut, lawn mowing and, and and planting and growing things. I mean I always enjoy that. I have a really big yard here on our Atlanta home, and I have a big yard in a Hilton at home as well. And uh, so I don't do as much of that. I don't do really any of it anymore. But uh, it's. Um, I still enjoy being outdoors and enjoy being the the outside and enjoying a beautiful yard that we have. Well, Arthur, congratulations on your book, Good Company. You can get it at amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. I highly recommend it. Just a great read. Lots of great stories. Love reading about your life and, and so many great valuable lessons in the book. You know, I'll just say this to you. Uh, you are a credit to humanity for everything that you've done for this world. A lot of people, you know, get into this business and, uh, you know, they, they make a lot of money, but you've done it the right way. So I congratulate you on that, Arthur. You're, you're very kind to say that, Brian. I've been surrounded and blessed with, with wonderful people and uh, uh, associates and, and, uh, and people who have served. And it's a beautiful business in that way because every, all of our businesses serve somebody, fans, guests, customers, and our associates. They understand that and they, um, and they take great pride in that. So, uh, Thank you for your time today and for your listeners. I appreciate it.
You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. There's no question that live sports and entertainment events are changing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. To ensure a strong recovery that keeps fans safe and engaged, sports venues are reimagining game day with Boingo's 5G connectivity solutions. Boingo Wireless helps partners across the NFL, NBA, MLS, and NCAA redefine the in-venue experience with 5G-ready cellular and Wi-Fi 6 networks that power new touchless technologies. From contactless ticketing and security and in-app food ordering to IoT robotics for cleaning and maintenance, Boingo's backbone of wireless connectivity makes new stadium use cases possible. Choosing a digital transformation partner you can trust is key to achieving fan experience goals and following rigorous health and safety protocols. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They help world-class venues navigate a complex and ever-changing technology landscape and have done so for 20 years. I recently had Austin FC President Andy Lochnane on Sports Business Radio. Here's what he had to say about Boingo, Austin FC's 5G partner. A relatively competitive process led to a relatively easy decision. The decision to go with Boingo was one that came with a lot of comfort and confidence. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most, and Boingo makes it all possible. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. If you need a trusted partner for your network and digital transformation needs, look no further than Boingo. Learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.